You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadam. So today, what I would like to do is take a look at all these many, many people that have come in for private workouts, whether that's the local private workouts or just the, um, you know, the other kind. There's a pretty big list, and I want to kind of go through it and take a look at who it is the Packers are looking at. Uh, as I've said, this doesn't necessarily mean that the Packers want to draft them, but it means they don't not want to draft them. There's at least some interest. Now, there's less so, I think, with the local workouts because that's just due diligence. You have the ability to do a private workout with people within a certain radius. I don't really know, but basically Wisconsin and Northwestern. So they work out everybody. Now, it still gives them a better chance of somebody that they didn't work out because it gives them the opportunity to maybe find something in them that they end up liking. So we're going to go through them and just kind of take a look at who they are because, again, this gives us a better chance at looking at potential Packers than simply throwing um, you know, darts at a big board. Before we get there, as always, be sure to get into the Facebook group. If you got a minute, I would appreciate a uh, five-star iTunes review. It's a really fantastic way to help uh, grow the show and, uh, you know, I've got a goal in mind for what I would like to get to before the season starts. And uh, the show has been growing leaps and bounds. Uh, I think the last infusion of iTunes reviews has really helped to nearly double the listenership of the show, depending on how much you trust uh, podcast stats, which are very, very, uh, you know, very iffy, hard to track. But it, it clearly had an impact. I've tried other things, and it doesn't move the needle, and I got a bunch of you guys to put in some iTunes reviews, and it's like, oh my goodness, you can see the differences night and day. So really, it just comes down to when somebody wants to find a Packers podcast, they go on iTunes or wherever, they type in Packers, and they find out what's there. And the higher I can get my podcast on that list, the better it's going to be for the show, and ultimately, the better it's going to be for me. So again... If you're looking to find a way to support the show, that might be the best possible way for you to do it. And if you've got just a minute, I would really, really appreciate a five-star iTunes review. Otherwise, be sure to check out NFLBigBoard.com. I am still planning to do one more update. We'll see how it goes. I don't really know. Really, I just want to get uh, Pro Football Focus's board mixed in, in there. But either way, it's going to be relatively final. So this is going to be the final board. It's going to be also a really good resource uh, if you head over there, you can see on the top right of the table there, you can print it out. You can export it to Excel so you can kind of play along. That's probably what I'm going to be doing um, just so I can kind of highlight, delete, just kind of see where we're at on the board, see who, which players are available as we go through the draft. But it's also got a lot of other resources there. It's got their scouting reports, their latest news, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a pretty good resource as you're doing some homework. Otherwise, any questions for the show or uh, what grinds my gears, 
kind of stuff. 608-501-0718. Text or call 608-501-0718. So we'll take a little bit of a break, and uh, when we get back, we're just going to dive right into it and just kind of run through these guys and see, kind of get an idea of what it is the Packers are looking for, see if we can glean a little bit of information. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the first thing I want to address before I dive into that, um, there is a rumor going around apparently that DK Metcalf won't get past pick 12. That's not exactly the rumor, but that's the way I felt like saying it. Essentially, according to Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, the Buffalo Bills and the Green Bay Packers are high on uh, DK Metcalf. Uh, Beyond that, Mel Kuyper apparently put DK Metcalf in his mock draft at 12 to the Packers, and allegedly he does his mock drafts based on what he's hearing. For those of you that have already heard this news, allow me to... um, I know most of you don't like DK Metcalf, especially at 12, and I probably lean that way as well. As I've said, I would be excited if they took him just because that means to me that uh, Gutekunst and the rest see him as kind of a Megatron-type player. That's the only reason you take him at 12. So I'm going to trust their evaluation and get excited. But here's the ultimate situation. The fact that Matt Miller and Mel Kuyper said it makes me feel very confident that it's absolutely not going to happen. And I'm not saying that just to be kind of, you know, I don't have anything against either of those guys. As I've said many times, I don't really know a lot of these guys. I'm new to the game as far as following people on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. I I don't, there's only a couple times I've been actually upset with the media. I believe there's only been two times I've publicly lashed somebody in the media so far. One of them being the recent article about Aaron Rodgers, and the other was the ridiculous line of questioning for Jimmy Graham. Won't bother to bring up the names again. But allow me to just kind of illuminate a couple things for you. Um, WalterFootball.com, Walter Cherapinski's site, he does a thing where he grades, He essentially what he does is he posts rumors throughout the year. As he hears rumors, he posts them. He says, this is a rumor, here's the source. Then, at the end of the draft, he finds out how many of these things were true and how many of these things were false, and he gives, you know, I guess a grade. Not really a grade, it's a, it's a record. And uh, Charlie Campbell, who also writes for the site, was number one, which might make you think it's biased. However, the only reason that this could be biased or incorrect would be um, if he's flat out lying, which would mean of the million people per month coming here, nobody picked up on the fact that they just added a bunch of rumors and deleted a bunch of rumors after the fact. I don't think that's happening. I think it's just got to give the guy some credit for being pretty dead on. He was 7-3. and three. Matt Miller on this list is dead last with one correct prediction and four incorrect. 
Now, there were several who got zero correct. John Ledyard was 0-2. Eric Galco was 0-2. But 1-4, they had lower than anybody because he's the only guy in the entire national media who had four incorrect predictions. The only other, well, Tony Pauline did. He had five incorrect predictions, but he had six correct predictions. That's pretty terrible. If you scroll down beneath that, there is a, um, a list for national media 2013 through 2018. Mel Kuyper doesn't have very many predictions, and I don't think this isn't necessarily a Mel Kuyper prediction, but it kind of goes to his credibility as far as what he's hearing. If we look at the national media, he's got a list of, man, there's, let me just copy and paste this because I want to know the exact number. For exa- just to give you an idea, Charlie Campbell is number one, 33 correct predictions, 15 incorrect. Adam Schefter, 16 and 9. Tony Pauline, 35 and 32. That guy's about 50-50, but he gets a lot correct too. Then Peter King, Lance Zerline, Daniel Jeremiah, these guys are up at the top. 63, copy and paste in Excel. Is there nothing you can't do, Excel? I love you to death. Out of 63 national media people from 2013 to 2018, Matt Miller is dead last, 3 and 14. Mel Kuyper is third from the bottom, 0 and 4. Pro Football Talk is sandwiched in between the two. So anything coming from Mel Kuyper is just guaranteed incorrect. And again, this isn't a prediction, but the guy's obviously not getting a whole lot of great information. So I think what we'll do is I'll I'll probably actually make an episode out of this uh, where I kind of look at some of the people who are better than others, and we'll do like a rumors show and just kind of see what what we can kind of glean from that. But the fact that Matt Miller and Mel Kuyper are our sources for DK Metcalf possibly being a Packer, these are... Two of literally the worst. Pro Football Talk isn't a person. It's a website. Maybe there's one person making all these rumors. I don't know, but they're not listed. The, only, the, the two lowest people on this list are Mel Kuyper and Matt Miller. So, and I, listen, we know that there's a lot of smokescreen stuff out here. I tend to think that there are some people that are a little bit more desperate for information that you can just kind of dump garbage to, and they'll just throw it out there. Either that or they're just desperate to be whatever. The, the, the bottom line is they're not very worried about putting out bad information. That or these guys are just used as whipping boys. Matt Miller, I mean, Mel Kuyper's only over four. In in a matter of the last, what, five years, he's only put out four predictions or things that he's heard are going to happen. He's wrong about all four. Matt Miller has put out 17. I mean, the guy just puts out everything he hears and almost all of it is garbage. So it seems to me he's just kind of used by football teams a lot. I mean, it, it, he's the only one, the, the, the next highest that has anywhere near that number of, of predictions being put out is Ian Rappaport, and he's 13th on this list. Nine correct, 11 incorrect. Jason Lockenfora has 21 predictions, 10 correct, 11 incorrect. Still more incorrect than correct, but closer to 50%. Matt Miller's just putting out stuff left and right. Everything he hears, he's throwing it out there, and almost all of it is garbage. It's not even, he's not even 50-50. This is, I mean, this is no different than me saying I'm hearing and then just random stuff happens, especially when we're talking first round predictions. I would have to assume just random people throwing out random predictions are going to get more correct than 3 and 14, just by guessing. Anyways, I'm not intending to trash the guy. I, I, again, I don't have anything against Matt Miller. I just want to make sure that we're very clear. The fact that Mel Kuyper and Matt Miller are the sources for this, you can, you can put, go ahead and bet your mortgage. I'm kidding. Don't please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. But it it, it tells me pretty clearly that the Packers are probably not taking um, DK Metcalf. I mean, hey, Matt Miller has gotten three correct in his career, so it it's possible. But I'm I'm gonna lean toward probably not, especially since the way he phrased it doesn't even really make sense. 
He says, Metcalf should be a round two player, but no one I've spoken with will disregard rumors that the Buffalo Bills or Green Bay Packers could make him a top 15 pick. So he's hearing rumors that the Bills and Packers like him. From who, I don't know. I've never heard those rumors, but apparently he's heard those rumors. And he's asked people, and he says, nobody will disregard it. Well, what, what counts as a disregard? Like, if you go to somebody and you're like, so I'm hearing the Packers and Bills like DK Metcalf. Do you know anything about that? And they say, no, I don't know anything about that. Hey, he didn't refute it. This is probably why he's really bad at this. Because that's not even a thing. He's making it sound like it's a thing, but it's not a thing. I don't know. Whatever. Bottom line is, don't put a lot of stock in that rumor. It doesn't mean anything. Could they take him? Yes. Will they take him? I'm saying less than, jeez, I don't know, 5%. But anyways, let's jump into this because that burned a lot of time. Uh, Why don't we take a little break and then we'll jump back in. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, so the order in which we're going to do this is uh, by position in alphabetical order because that's how I sorted it on my chart here. So that's what we're going to do. So right out of the gate, we're going to start with cornerback. Uh, the the one guy that they've had in for a private visit is Mr. Donnie Lewis Jr., Jr. cornerback out of Tulane University. The other is Montre Hartage. I copy and pasted this from, I think it's Cheesehead TV, and they got his name wrong. It's not Hartage, it's Hartage. But cornerback out of Northwestern, so the the Montre Hartage out of Northwestern is going to be that local visit. In other words, he plays for Northwestern. We have the opportunity to do a private workout, so we're going to go ahead and do that. As far as Donnie Lewis, though, I don't even have him on my sheet because he is not in, um, or at least he doesn't have a full breakdown in the scouting report, the Pro Football Focus draft guide. However, he is in the extended stats um, portion of this, so let's start with that. So PFF has this um, ordered by passer rating when targeted, which Donnie Lewis's passer rating is 72.3. If I were to compare him to the guys that I do have on my list, that would put him at 21st. So 21st out of what would be 34 prospects, which is not terrible. The one kind of big positive that I do notice about him, though, three interceptions and then 15, what they have here is Fink, which I can only assume is forced incompletions. 15 of them. Now, I, I would have to assume this is not a pass breakup necessarily. And I also know that in- interceptions are not included in this because, believe it or not, there are guys who have more interceptions than the Fink number. But that's essentially 15 times a pass wasn't completed because of Donnie Lewis Jr. As a percentage, that's 15.3% of the time. That's pretty solid. The only other interesting tidbit that I can glean from this is that there's a good chance that he would be drafted as a uh, slot corner. Although it wasn't his primary assignment, he did play almost 100 snaps in the slot. He was targeted 18 times, 11 of which were caught, which is not very good, 61%. Uh, One touchdown, but he had one interception and two forced incompletions. Again, 75.2 passer rating, similar to what he had on the outside. About 10.6 yards per completion, which I can't help but feel is a little bit high, although that's pretty par for the course as I'm looking at a lot of other people. Very few of them have under 10. Almost none of them have under 10 yards per completion. I feel like in the slot that would be... Not exactly the case, but what do I know? So anyways, uh, for lack of time and for the fact that there isn't much to say about him, I even checked the Draft Network. They don't have a single thing to say about him. Not a very well-known guy. Um, I've got him on NFLBigBoard.com at uh, 285, meaning 
that's right at about the end of the seventh round. So if the Packers were to pick him up, good chance that it, you know, and again, a lot of this, these meetings are to kind of figure out where to put him. This could be a question about, is this guy draftable or are we looking at him as a priority undrafted free agent? Or maybe we just don't want him at all. I know Mark Jarvis released his uh, master board estimating when guys are going to be drafted. He has them at uh, round seven. So it's it's probably going to be in and around there. Donnie Lewis is someone to keep an eye on as a depth person at cornerback, uh, a guy with outside-inside versatility, and we'll leave it at that. I suppose I'll throw in there that he's six foot, 195 pounds. Moving on to Mr. Montre Hartage, Hartage, but he is listed at five foot, 11, 190 pounds, pretty similar to Donnie Lewis Jr., but Mr. Hartage, I do have on my list, and unfortunately, I have him ranked 30th out of 33 total prospects, meaning he is nearly dead last. Savion Smith, Rashad Fenton, and Elijah Holder are the only three players I have listed graded lower than him. Again, this is the uh, the guy out of Northwestern, so this is a local visit. Overall, I think, for the most part, he is a mediocre player in some categories and kind of terrible in others. So, for example, his overall coverage grade is about dead average. If you look at the yards given up per snap, 1.32. That's pretty bad. I gave him a grade of 3 on that just to give you an idea of out of 10, how bad is that? He got a 3 out of 10. It was the fifth worst grade of anybody. His tackling is about dead average. The one good characteristic he had was catch percentage at 47.3. It was the seventh highest, but uh, zero interceptions. 9.74 pass deflections per thousand, which is a metric I made up, but I was interested in. By the way, all this information is in my, um, I guess we can call it a draft guide. I don't know what it is. My positional breakdowns. You can get all this information in my Patreon. Link is in the description. One buck a month basically means donate a buck and you can get this. But all this information is there. Passer rating is 79.6, pretty similar to um, Mr. Donnie. But the biggest negative for him is going to be his athleticism. Very, very slow corner. His relative athletic score was 3.36. So, you know, I've got him on NFL Big Board at 277. So similar to, similar position, right? End of the seventh, undrafted territory. I'm going to lean a little bit more toward undrafted. Looking at Mark Jarvis's chart, he has him as undrafted. If you look at um, the draft network, Kyle Krabs and his final breakdown, he says his best trade is, is his competitive toughness. Worst trade is his speed. And um, he actually put a fifth round grade on him. I'm going to go ahead and say that that's probably not going to happen, but we'll see what happens. He says he projects more as a depth player and special teams option, which I suppose would be one area where if he's able to play on special teams, maybe he could get bumped up. But I don't know if I want just a special teams guy in the fifth round. Plus, when you're really slow, what exactly are you doing on special teams? But I, I guess if you're a good enough tackler, which Crab seems to think he is, which again, the numbers don't necessarily bear that out, according to, again, my sheet here. Uh, he got graded as a 5 out of 10, so pretty much dead average again. So it, it was just a visit because he's there, because you got to do your due diligence. I do not think he's going to be a Packer, and if he is, it's probably going to be an undrafted guy, and I don't think he's going to make the team. If he does, as Kyle Krabs said, it's probably going to be as a special teamer slash depth player. Next up on our list, we got a couple defensive linemen, Tristan Hill out of UCF and Jeffrey Simmons, the big man out of Mississippi State. So the Jeffrey Simmons thing is interesting but not interesting at the same time. It's interesting because if he's completely off the list, which is possible, right? The guy punched a female right in the face. Packers are pretty sensitive about that kind of stuff. The fact that they're bringing him in means he's not... I mean, they saw the video. If they decided he's not going to be a Green Bay Packer ever, you're not going to waste a top 30... It, it's Don't give me smoke screen. If that's where your mind went, stop it. You only have 30. 
How much benefit are you going to get wasting one of your top 30 picks on a guy that you know you're not going to draft? That's silliness. That's nonsense. You're going to trick who into doing what? Zero chance that's what this is about. This is about where we are willing to draft him. It's a question of where. And because he's injured, he wasn't able to work out at the combine. So bringing him in, they want to be able to see what he's able to do in person. It makes sense. I would guess most teams want to, that are willing to draft him want to see what he can do physically because, again, they weren't able to see him or work him out at the combine. So they're going to try to get him a private workout. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they're super into him and that's why they want to see him. But they definitely want to see at what point are we willing to draft him. So again, the only interesting thing here is the fact that we now officially know, or I'm, I'm at least 95% sure that the Packers are willing to draft Jeffrey Simmons. So looking at these two guys, the, the, the really cool thing here, Tristan Hill, not a very well-known person, but I have him as my 10th highest graded defensive tackle in the entire class. On uh, NFL Big Board, I have him at 141. That would put him in the fifth round. Mark Jarvis has him around round four. Ledyard has him four, Joe Marino has him five, Kyle Krabs has him six. So (laughs) just take it for what it is. Um, To be clear, though, he's listed at six foot one, 330 pounds. So he is a big, big man. He's a lot bigger than the typical, you know, he's he's the guy that I've been wanting ever since we got rid of BJ Raji, right? The, the, The true nose tackle. I always thought it was weird that our nose tackle was like 212 pounds or whatever Kenny Clark is. It's like, that's not a nose tackle. A 3-4 nose tackle is like 225 minimum. But the Packers make it work, and obviously that's the way the NFL is going. But Tristan Hill fits that 330 mold. We did have uh, Mabu for a short period of time. That was a guy that I really liked because he was like 225, 230. From what I can glean from looking over the three draft um, breakdowns from the guys at the Draft Network, it seems like he's a high-energy high potential guy that just doesn't really know what he's doing, which makes him somewhat of a perfect fit for the Packers because we know we have a very good coach. And this is this is actually something that needs to be taken into consideration for a GM because we've seen this several times. I, I've mentioned it before how the Seattle Seahawks, they kept drafting guys with potential along the offensive line, and apparently they just didn't have a very good offensive line coach. In other words, they needed to get guys that were just good football players as opposed to getting guys with potential. And I think a lot of teams need to recognize and be honest about the kinds of coaches they have. Obviously, everybody wants to have the best of the best, the guys that can really refine people. But I'm I'm assuming there's only so many of them out there. We know that we have a guy that can really get the best out of their players. I I, I am blown away by the, the level of production we're getting from every single defensive lineman that steps foot in Lambeau Field. So if, if, if this is correct, that this is a high motor, high energy, a guy with a super good first step, but I mean, you look at the, the bad traits, for example, technique, according to uh, Marino. According to Krabs, it's consistency. According to Ledger, it's his pass rush plan. These are all things that can be taught, right? It's, it's like he's out there just kind of winging it, right? He's got all the tools, but he, he's just kind of not really putting it together. That's, that's perfect, But in terms of what went into my grade and why he's up so high, first of all, I do take into account strength of schedule. UCF is relatively high. As far as his pass rush grade, it's not great. But as far as defensive tackles go, there are some that are elite, and then there's just a big drop-off. So there's Quinnen Williams, Jerry Tillery, Christian Wilkins, Draymond Jones, Jeffrey Simmons. These are the elite guys, and we'll get to Jeffrey Simmons. Then you've got the very good, which are the guys in the 80s. There's only three of them. There's Ed Oliver, Armin Watts out of Arkansas, and Dexter Lawrence from Clemson. Then you got a bunch of 70s, 60s, and 50s, just a ton. Well, Tristan Hill is at the top of the 70s, 70, 77.3. Again, this is all in the guide. These are PFF grades. But Greg Gaines out of Washington and then Tristan Hill. So he's the 10th best pass rusher. And again, let's, let's remember, 335, or 330 pounds, 6'1", nose tackle, 
who is the 10th best pass rushing defensive tackle in this class. He's in the same territory as Greg Gaines. Greg Gaines, by the way, very similar kind of guy. He's sort of like Tristan Hill, I guess you could say, is you know, uh, Greg Gaines light. Greg Gaines, a monstrous human. And Dexter Lawrence, in, in a row. Dexter Lawrence, Greg Gaines, Tristan Hill, all 335-pound... Mo- Why do I keep saying 335? About 330-pound monsters, but all very good pass rushers. So that's a very big positive for Mr. Tristan Hill. One of the really big surprising things, though, for a 330-pound man, I almost did it again, he's 38th in his uh, run grade, which is pretty shocking. So the grade that PFF gave him for his ability to stop the run was 38th out of 45. But again, I I think given his size, I mean, just the fact that he's as big as he is, as strong as he is, as athletic as he is, I I refuse to believe that he can't be taught with better technique and, and a better understanding of what his assignment is, especially on a team where he would come in and be with Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, with having the guys that he has around him. I, I just really believe that he could blossom in the, the Packers system. Uh, as far as pass rush productivity, which is um, the pro football focus sort of proprietary thing, which takes into account all the sacks, hits, and hurries, but then kind of weights more towards sacks and whatnot, he was 11th. And to be specific, to give you the metric that I continually use, pass rush percentage, which is something that PFF doesn't account for, but I went and did the math myself, 11.87. So again, you want to get to that 10% mark. If you're below 10, you're kind of bad. 10% is decent. Anything above there, you're getting into pretty solid territory. So 11.87 is decent, right? Remember, Zadarius was around 12. I think Kenny Clark is around 12. It's the percentage of time that in one capacity or another, you're pressuring the quarterback. As far as his overall PFF grade, which also is on here, he was actually graded pretty low, which is a little bit surprising. But again, my my metrics here are not For anybody that thinks I'm just taking PFF and putting him on here, PFF has him graded 31st out of all these defensive tackles. I have him 10th because I take PFF and I add in all these other statistics and I add in their strength of schedule. I add in relative athletic score, which by the way, his relative athletic score, again, at 330 pounds was eighth overall. Rashawn Gary, who I I actually put, this is another thing I added. I have two categories for Rashawn Gary. So if you look at my guide, you'll see that Rashawn Gary has two different grades, one for defensive tackle, one for for edge, because he's kind of in between. I'll do that any tweeners I can find. But Rashawn Gary, Ed Oliver, Dexter Lawrence, Quinnen Williams, Rennell Wren, Jerry Tillery, Michael Dogby, and then Tristan Hill. Um, His relative athletic score was 8.98. So really solid. His overall grade that I gave him was 80. So out of 100, he got 80. So very, very high. I uh, I like him. I like him because he fits my metrics the way that I lay it out. Basically, what I do is I just multiply based on what I think is important. So based on my metrics, he's solid. He's high relative athletic score, which is something the Packers like. He's a defensive lineman, which um, our, def- our defensive coordinator likes. He's a good pass rusher, which is more important, in my opinion, than run stopping, which... I feel like it shouldn't, but I think that's what the NFL believes. I mean, just look at who's at the top, right? Ed Oliver doesn't belong anywhere in the first round if run defense is the most important thing in, uh, I shouldn't say that. He's not, he's actually pretty good in run defense. PFF actually grades him as maybe the best or second best, I think. He's up there really high, but still he's, he's, he's as high as he is because they think he's going to be a, you know, 10 sack, 11 sack, 12 sack guy. But anyways, Tristan Hill, solid, solid, uh, player. Looking at Mr. Where is he? Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State. I have said consistently that if he had not, if it wasn't for the tape and the injury, I think he's a top five guy. I think maybe if it wasn't even for the injury, which is going to have him out most of this year, possibly all of this year, he might still be a top five, potentially top ten prospect. Um, I, I probably think he's maybe the third best. Uh, you got uh, Quinnen, I think, is the best player in this draft. 
Bosa, I think, would be number two, and I would probably put Jeffrey Simmons number three, but that's debatable neither here nor there. Bottom line is on my chart here, he is the fifth best. So he is um, only behind Ed Oliver, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, and Quinnen Williams. I know Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, a lot of people don't think should be that high, especially Dexter Lawrence, but I am a uh, pretty big proponent of him being really good. But anyways, you know, strength of schedule, Mississippi State, very, very good school he went to, so there's no concerns there. His pass rush grade, as I mentioned, was fifth best, so pretty dominant there. As a run defender, he was also graded fifth. He is elite in both of those categories. His overall PFF grade was actually fourth. They have it, Quinnen Williams, Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, and then Jeffrey Simmons is how they have these guys graded. I do not have a relative athletic score, so I actually just plugged one in. So his grade would actually shift if I had it, but I don't. So I just use filler. What I probably should do is just average it out with that not there. But I just take like an average number for this. It's a six. So it's actually, you know, I mean, you look at Quinnen Williams, 9.84, at Oliver, 9.87, Christian Wilkins, 8.52. And I give Jeffrey Simmons a six. But it's just, again, I give him an average number, and six is pretty average for a defensive tackle. So he could actually be quite a bit higher. The one negative about Jeffrey Simmons is despite the pass rush grade, which again, as I break this down, strength of schedule is um, looking at how good of a program you went to. I look at PFF grades because that's that's my version of scouting, right? This is guys putting the eye test on them. And then stats I look at is production, relative athletic score I look at is athleticism. So I take all these different components, all of which are extremely important, weight it differently, and that's what you get. So the grades that PFF gives, which is the scouting portion, is actually relatively high. But as far as the stats go, which is the production, it's not as high. His pass rush productivity, which again is the uh, PFF looking at his sack numbers and whatnot, um, 5.9, he was rated 15th, which isn't bad, but it's certainly a far cry from where he was graded. And then if you look at my metric, which is pass rush percentage, it was 10.56, which again isn't bad. He's over the 10 threshold, but it's right at that 10, which, you know, you get a dominant guy like Jeffrey Simmons in college, you would expect, I would have expected like 14, 15% at least get up in the 13s with Lawrence, Gary, and Wilkins. But he didn't. He was just above the 10. So 11th overall. Again, 11, 11th is certainly not bad, just not as good as I would have thought. But the one metric in which he did dominate was uh, stop percentage, which, again, the, the metric of a stop in PFF is anytime you caused a negative play for the offense, right? Less than four yards on first down, stopping a third down, stopping a fourth down. He graded out as fourth in the NFL behind only Quinnen, Christian Wilkins, and Gerald Willis, who I've said nothing but bad things about, but props to him for that. So Jeffrey Simmons is dominant, and I've said for a long time that I would be happy if we took him. I think if we can get him in the second round, it's just, I mean, if we took him at 30, I know that people would try to burn down Wisconsin, but, um, you know, I could understand the complaint about that, but, I mean, listen, Jeffrey Simmons, and again, we're talking about for the remainder of, of Aaron Rodgers' career, going into next year, we would essentially be getting a high first-round pick that we would be expending on Jeffrey Simmons. To not take him at 44 is to deny yourself a 2020 top-five pick. If you think about it in those terms, it's kind of uh, you know kind of tough to turn down. The other the other reason, and one of the biggest reasons why taking him at 30, and maybe this is why you bring him in to find out you know where exactly he's he's valued how good is this guy really if you take him at 30 you're taking him in the first round if you take him in the first round you have a fifth year option if you don't you're only getting those four years which essentially is three years right so you get him for three years if you take him at 30 you get him for four years obviously you can just pay the guy and you have him for as long as you want but i'm just saying that that is a benefit that's why some guys do trade up into the first round that's why there's usually is always somebody trading up into the first round because there's somebody like last year we had uh 
uh, the, the quarterback out of Baltimore. Why did they trade up and get him? Because they wanted the fifth-year option, would be my assumption. So next up on our fun little list here, we have fullback out of Wisconsin, Alec Ingold. I think a lot of people are real high on this because ever since we hired Lafleur, well, first of all, I think Packer fans like fullbacks more than just about anybody. But since we hired Lafleur, everybody's mind went to Kyle uh, Juszczyk, is how you say his name, I believe. Looks like Jusik. But he, he had a big year for San Francisco, so everybody says, well, we have to assume Lafleur is going to come here and be Kyle Shanahan 2.0. Kyle Shanahan has, has a good fullback and figured out how to use him. Therefore, we have to do the same thing. Just a lot of assumptions baked in. Therefore, Alec Ingold will be used check. I mean, it, there's a lot of holes in that logic, but yeah, maybe. The couple things that I would point out are things that I've said. First of all, that particular position that Kyle Juszczyk is playing is a relatively important piece, but it's a piece that can be played by a tight end, right? The, more importantly, it's it's either a fullback or an H-back, and an H-back is essentially the position of a tight end. It's a tight end who kind of plays fullback slash tight end. So we could essentially be drafting a tight end to play that position. We might already have that player, whether it's um, Danny Vitale, which I would doubt, even though Packer fans love the guy, maybe, I don't know. But there is some talk about Alec Ingold. Here, here's another thing to keep in mind, because I don't have any this guy on my sheet. Um, fullbacks are not, nobody cares, so not a lot of information. But if there's going to be a um, Kyle Juszczyk on the roster, um, and I had to choose between Vitali or Ingold, the one thing that stands out is if you look at Kyle Juszczyk's relative athletic score coming out of Harvard, it was 9.79. Basically, the guy's an athletic freak. 6'1", 248 pounds, uh, 4'7", 140, you know, pretty decent as far as his, his running. 10-yard you know, split, 1.6 was pretty solid. However, his explosion was off the charts. 37 um, vert, 10'1", broad jump, um, and then his agility, uh, 4.19 shuttle and 6.93 cone was also really, really solid. If we look at Alec Ingold, it's kind of trash. 6 feet tall, 242 pounds, so he's a smaller guy. He ran a 4.8940, which is slow. Uh, 2.84, 20-yard split, 1.7, 10-yard split, all slow. 16 reps on the bench is not great. 34-inch vert is okay. 9-foot-8-inch broad jump is okay. He ran a 7.353 cone. That's pretty slow. His overall relative athletic score, 4.14, is terrible. Now, with that said, Danny Vitale actually had a higher relative athletic score than Kyle Jusic. Use check. Jessic just feels better. But he had a 9.89. Now, he's a smaller guy. He's 6 foot 239, so his, his height isn't very good. But his speed is even better. He ran a 4.640. 30 reps on the bench. The guy's a monster. 38.5-inch vert, 10-foot, 3-inch broad jump, a uh, 4.12 short shuttle, 7.12 three-cone is decent. So, super athletic guy. So, again, I don't have a whole lot to go off of Alec Ingold, but I think if we're going to try to pigeonhole a fullback to be the guy, in other words, to be more than just a fullback, to be a receiver, similar to the way check is used, it's probably going to be Danny Vitale, especially when you take into consideration, you know, the guys like Mercedes Lewis who are already on the team that can be used as blockers. You don't really super need Vitale to be that guy. Again, under 240 pounds. I mean, 30 reps on the bench, he can punch a guy in the head might work. I don't know. You'd probably get penalized for that, but I feel like it would stop a guy from coming, break his hand. I, you know, I'm just saying. He's a strong guy. 
Now, I think if the, if the Packers did end up drafting Ingold, it's not to be a use check type player. So just keep that in the back of your mind because that will be the narrative. I just don't see it. I think he would be more of a true fullback, a, a John Kuhn, Aaron Ripkowski type of fullback. He's going to be a an absolute hammer, uh, potentially on occasion as a as a receiver, but mostly he's going to be a short yardage goal line dynamo who stays into pass protect and and be a lead blocker on occasion in um in the run game, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind that because everybody's looking for them to get the use check guy, and then if we draft a fullback, it's like oh there's the use check. Guy. I don't think so, man. But whatever, we'll see. Tell you what, for the sake of time, we might just get through these this group of linebackers because there are a lot of linebackers, and that in and of itself should tell us something. Granted, four of them are local guys. I'm sorry, f- yeah, four of them, four of seven. But there's still three other linebackers that they brought in. So I think we're going to do linebackers, and then maybe we'll just save the rest. I'm going to do, I think, mock draft Monday for tomorrow. Tuesday, maybe we'll finish this list, and then Wednesday, maybe start looking at rumors. We'll We'll kind of plan it out that way. We'll see how it goes. But the linebackers that we've got here, the four local guys, Ryan Conley, Andrew Van Ginkle, who I think is an out, I think he's an edge guy. I'll have to double check. I'm not sure. And TJ Edwards. I'm not sure what Ryan Conley is. I don't remember. And then Nate Hall out of Northwestern. Then the three other guys, uh, Jesse Anibanam out of Maryland, Caden Ellis out of Idaho, and Randy Ramsey out of Arkansas. I think I am going to take Van Ginkle off here because Ryan Conley and TJ Edwards are linebackers. Van Ginkle is an outside linebacker, so I'm going to move him. It looks like he's not the only one. Randy Ramsey is also an edge rusher. Come on, guys. Get your stuff together here. Caden Ellis is an edge rusher. Ay, ay, ay. And so is Jesse. <laughs> so we've got three linebackers. we got the two Wisconsin guys and a Northwestern guy, so they have not brought in a single linebacker. Um, for those of you who are checking those... Um, uh, top 30 visit trackers, just keep in mind, Jesse Anibanam, Caden Ellis, and Randy Ramsey are all edge rushers, not linebackers. Outside linebackers, maybe, but still, listing them as linebackers, in my opinion, is just inaccurate. But let's talk about Ryan Conley, Nate Hall, and TJ Edwards, shall we? So first of all, um, I do have all three on my uh, list, my draft guide. TJ Edwards actually is graded as the ninth best overall linebacker. Ryan Conley out of Wisconsin, I have 17th. And Nate Hall out of Northwestern, I have 41st. So the linebacker group is the one that I feel the least confident in as far as my grade. And I I don't really know how to tweak it because the numbers are what they are, right? I've got Jermaine Pratt, number one, Ben Burkirvan, number two, Blake Cashman, number three, Cody Barton, four, all the way. I, I don't get to Devin White until six. Devin Bush is 14. And we can talk about that another time, but again, just the numbers aren't there, man. I, I can't force them any higher. Both of these guys are terrible tackling. They have t- horrific tackling grades. I, I, don't, I mean, unless I just say, okay, well, you just won't count tackling because I want to force them up higher, but that's ridiculous. Devin White and Devin Bush, out of this top 15 that I'm looking at, are both the worst tacklers in this entire group. Devin Bush's run-stop percentage, which is a statistic. It's not, you know, guys that you don't respect doing a poor job of grading. These are statistics has a grade of a 6 out of 10. Everybody else in this group, 8, 9, 9, 9, 9, 8, 8, 9, 9, 6, 9, 9, 10. It's terrible. So anyways, I, I'm just saying I don't know how to force these guys any higher. But again, TJ Edwards very high on this list. Uh, getting back to tackling efficiency, TJ Edwards is 10th. Ryan Conley about dead middle with uh, 23rd. Nate Hall is dead last. 4.12 tackling efficiency. So that's pretty terrible. I'm guessing Nate Hall isn't, I mean, again, he's a local guy. We're going to work him out anyways. But, I mean, this is just kind of terrible across the board. 
Looking at run stop percentage, again, another statistic. TJ Edwards is sixth, really, really solid. His percentage was 13, gave him a 9 out of 10 grade. If it was even a .1 higher, he would have gotten a 10 out of 10. Ryan Conley also with a 9 out of 10. Pretty low down the list. He's graded 26th, but still a very high number at uh, 10.1 run stop percentage. Nate Hall, third worst. So, again, pretty terrible. Looking at pass rush grade, things change a little bit. Ryan Conley takes the first place spot. He is uh, graded 10th overall, just behind Devin White in his ability to rush the passer. TJ Edwards, again, is 15th, so still pretty high. Nate Hall down at 35th, and this is out of 44 linebackers. The run grade... Uh, PFF's grade given against the run. TJ Edwards is ninth, so top 10. Ryan Conley was 24th. Nate Hall was 29th. Looking at coverage, which is another really big thing. This is a PFF grade in coverage. TJ Edwards, 10th. So, I mean, just across the board, TJ Edwards is top 10, top 15 guy in pretty much every metric. Uh, Ryan Conley came in at 24th. Nate Hall at 30th. Relative athletic score is the thing that's going to kill TJ Edwards. He was last of the three. Ryan Conley was 14th, so pretty solid for him. He had a 8.52, uh, or excuse me, 7.79 relative athletic score. Nate Hall came in at 6.7, 31st overall. TJ Edwards, 4.07. So his athleticism, not fantastic. Looking at overall PFF grades, TJ Edwards was the fifth highest graded linebacker. And if you look at PFF's grades, it's pretty similar to the conclusions I came to. Different rankings, but they had Devin White at ninth. They have Devin Bush at 20th. Just saying. Now, I don't know what their actual, I I can look at their big board. I'm sure it's a lot different, but this is just grades. I I don't know. But anyways, TJ Edwards only behind BJ Blunt, Ben Burkirvan, Brad Koenig, and Tavon Coney. Overall grades that I had given out of um, out of 100, T.J. Edwards had a 79, Ryan Conley had a 76, Nate Hall uh, with a 65.17. So I mean, T.J. Edwards, it's not just a homer thing. I, and I, 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 if I had to guess, I would say T.J. Edwards is going to be similar to a Blake Martinez. He's going to be probably in that fourth round, just off the cuff. I haven't even looked yet. But just a solid contributor. He's not going to be the elite prospect. And I'm I, listen. I'm not saying Devin White and Devin Bush aren't elite prospects. I'm just saying I can't get there with the numbers. Something that it needs to be tweaked over time to try to figure that out. We'll get there. But I, I tend to think that he would be a solid contributor across the board. The biggest issue, though, is that relative athletic score. Because even though he had a decent coverage grade, the fact of the matter is, if he's asked to do something in coverage and he doesn't have the speed to be able to cover sideline to sideline, it, it, it impedes your ability to stop the run as well it just limits you especially when you get into the nfl and wisconsin has a really really solid defense and sometimes working in and around a good unit to where you just have a specific role and if you execute your role you shine Um, i think in the nfl especially in a more complex scheme you're going to be asked to do more it could be kind of hard for him so looking at uh, jarvis's list here he has tj edwards actually as a sixth round prospect he has ryan conley as a seventh round prospect Nate Hall, he just has dead last on his list. (laughs) So undrafted, but the absolute bottom of a pile of about 20 undrafted guys. So he may just not end up on a team. Um, NFLBigBoard.com, I have TJ Edwards at 177. That would actually put him in the sixth round. So maybe that is a little bit more of what we're looking at here. So again, spreadsheet guy, a guy that kind of checks all the boxes. I mean, he could go as, as high as second, third round based on the numbers that were put out there with the obvious concern about the relative athletic score. But, you know, based on what I'm looking at as being a realistic uh, option, you know, look, I'm excited. If we can get him in the sixth round, that's something to be excited about. 
If we get him at pick 186, that's pretty awesome. Or possibly 196 because we have two six-round picks. That's that's pretty awesome. So anyways, like I said, I'm going to leave it at that. We'll look at uh, tomorrow we're going to be looking at these linebackers slash edge rushers. Jesse Anibanam, Caden Ellis, Randy Ramsey, and I'll figure out how to say Jesse's last name. Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle out of Wisconsin. And of course, Mr. Montez Sweat. A guy that I did not like at first, but I'm coming around. Just the athletic freaky, freakiness of him. Plus, he just seems to be a fit. You know, the the guys that we're getting are not these sort of speed bend kind of guys that I tend to like. They're the, the monstrous monstrosity, punch you in the throat, solid against the run, terrorize the quarterback just because you never know, man, kind of guys. So we'll talk about that. We got offensive linemen, Greg Little, Caleb McGarry, Titus Howard, Max Sharping, who I just learned today, I believe, is a Green Bay guy. He's actually from Green Bay. Uh, and David Edwards, running backs, Taiwan Deal, Chris James, uh, safety, Dakota Dixon out of Wisconsin, tight ends, Jay Sternberger, who we talked about a little bit, but we'll touch on it again, Andrew Beck, then wide receivers, A.J. Brown, Jeff Smith, and DeAndre Tompkins. Man, I'm getting excited for the draft, dude. I can't even, I can't even take it, man. So excited. But anyways, you folks, enjoy your Sunday. I will talk to you tomorrow. We'll be doing Mock Draft Monday. If I said we're doing this tomorrow, I lied. We're doing Mock Draft Monday tomorrow. Anyways, enjoy it. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.